ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. Hi, this is Alex Ewell. This week, instead of your usual episode of The Readback, we bring you a pilot episode of a new podcast. We tentatively call it The History of Finance because that's exactly what the series aims to do to bring up some of the crucial moments that have shaped how we think about finance. The Readback will return next week. Here's the episode. I'm Sarah Green Carmichael, and this is The History of Finance, a new podcast from Barron's about some of the ideas that have shaped finance as we know it today. We're going to start off with Michael Douglas and the role of Wall Street insider Gordon like Gekko. This is the greatest bubble story of all time. In the forgettable sequel to the movie Wall Street, Gordon Gekko schools his young friend Jake on the story of the tulip bubble. Back in the 1600s, the Dutch, they get speculation fever to the point that you could buy a beautiful house on a canal in Amsterdam for the price of one bulb. They called it tulip mania. Gekko is giving us the basic outline of the version of the tulip bubble story as we know it. that the tulip bubble was a kind of mass delusion, that the frenzy for tulips reached such a fever pitch that prices for bulbs soared, that a single bulb could sell for the value of a mansion, that a bulb could be sold dozens of times before the bulb itself actually changed hands. And then there was the inevitable crash. The fever broke. People panicked, tried to sell. And when they couldn't, they lost everything. Traders went bankrupt, became desperate, even drowned themselves in Harlem's canals. As a result, the Netherlands plunged into an economic crisis. It's a dramatic story that's been used countless times to warn us against asset bubbles. The only problem is that... No, none of that is the case. I mean, I couldn't find anybody who went bankrupt because of tulips. That's Anne. My name is Anne Goldgar, and I am professor of early modern European history at King's College London. She's the author of Tulip Mania, Money, Honor, and Knowledge in the Dutch Golden Age. And when she reviewed original sources documenting the tulip bubble, she found a very different but equally fascinating story. And of course, the story of tulip mania is not a total myth. Tulips did arrive in the Netherlands in the late 1500s. What some historians think is that Western traders first saw tulips in the court of the Ottoman emperor. They brought some bulbs back to Europe, and tulips quickly became a trend at the French court. Just as now, people all over Europe really care what the French are wearing. When the women of the French court threw away their roses and began to ask for tulips instead, the rest of Europe sat up and noticed. They're fashionable because there's a fashion for science, there's a fashion for a particular type of aesthetic experience and really a sort of a a passion in general for natural history among people who are humanistically educated, people who are relatively well off, people who are collectors of one kind or another. And indeed, one of the things that I found is that people who are collectors of tulip bulbs often were collectors of paintings as well. The tulips became more popular throughout the early 1600s. Prices started to increase and then the plague. 
The plague hits the Netherlands in the 1630s, and according to the myth, it made people reckless with their money. That's the argument which is usually put forward, that, you know, people thought they were about to die and therefore they might as well throw their money on, away on something as stupid as a tulip. But Anne Goldgar says that's not the case. The plague did, however, play a role in creating the tulip bubble in a different way. There were people who had a bit more money because the plague had been going on for about a year and a half. And some people would have acquired some extra money because of relatives that had died. So basically, what people have is... They have some extra cash. So back to the bubble that's building. Tulips have gained popularity, and in 1636, prices really skyrocket. Until, in 1637, they don't. Basically what happens then is that someone tries to sell a bulb in Harlem on the 3rd of February, it doesn't sell, and then people start to get worried. Over the next four days, the worries spread. What if the tulips are overvalued? What if they won't sell? Something really crucial to understand about this very moment is this season. It's February, it's freezing, and the tulips that are being sold right now are still on the ground, the frozen ground. They can't be dug up until the spring. So all the sales are just contracts, promises written down on paper. But it's starting to dawn on people that the tulips that had once seemed so rare were actually really easy to grow, easy to propagate, and would be coming back season after season. Maybe they were overpriced. By the time the ground thaws in May, the people who promised to buy the tulips are saying, I'm sorry, but I'm not taking this. And they, what they say over and over is, I will do as, as another has done, meaning no one else is doing this. I'm not going to. And at that point, the people with the bulbs are the ones who have the problem because their bulbs aren't worth as much and they're not getting paid for them. So where the myth of tulip mania claims that long chains of people were affected by the crash, Ann Goldgar says it was actually a small number of people who were involved in the trade. What I've tried to argue is that really the only people who have a problem are the people who have the bulbs at the end. And even those people hadn't lost fortunes. It's said that everybody's involved in this, and actually it's a tiny number of people who are involved in the trade. I only found... 37 people who paid more than 300 guilders for a bulb. And most of the bulbs, you know, that people talk about, the sort of legends about bulbs are the ones that cost, you know, 1,200 guilders, or the highest price I ever saw was 5,500 guilders. But almost nobody paid that kind of money. Just to put those prices in perspective, in 1637, one guilder was worth about $10 in today's money. So 300 guilders would be about $3,000. 300 guilders in terms of wages, that would be quite a good wage at the time. So those 37 people who paid more than 300 guilders or a year of wages did lose money. But no one went bankrupt because of tulips. There are people who lose money, but they're mostly people who have enough money that it doesn't really make that much difference. They're not happy about it, but they're usually people who can afford it. And as for the economy of the Netherlands, it was never even slightly dependent on this And so it is, as far as I can see, completely unaffected by tulip mania. So no one went bankrupt over the tulips. No one threw themselves in the canals. And only the people who were already wealthy really seemed to lose serious money. And the tulip bubble didn't send the Netherlands into an economic crisis. But the tulip bubble shook Dutch society in a different way. 
and had brought about the idea that people could rise in society through speculation, not hard work or a noble lineage. And that is very central, really, to the big concerns that people had about tulip mania, is the idea that people might be suddenly on the same social standing as you because they have the money, when actually they don't deserve to be because they didn't get there through work and because they don't have the breeding that they ought to have. There's a song, a tulip song, uh, that I found in which these women who are, you know, weavers, wives or something like this say, I'm going to dominate, Sue me will dominate, in addition to having the nice clothes and the, and the horses and so on, the idea that they will dominate. And I thought that was very interesting and revealing. And the country was undergoing other major changes. Trade was booming and immigration was rising. In the Netherlands, at least, it's the beginning of a major shift in how the economy and the society work. And, you know, not everybody is ready for that. And there's a lot of relief, I think, when the crash comes. And there are quite a few songs making fun of tulip speculators saying, well, you know, weavers go back to your looms and go and ride the wooden horse, they say, meaning sit on the loom. You know, relief that this problem has been solved. This All sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? When the housing bubble burst in the late 2000s, a lot of people said, oh, these people, they never should have bought houses in the first place. Or when Bitcoin crashed after reaching wild highs, there was also a kind of schadenfreude. Yeah, well, you see it over and over. I mean, really, in every kind of financial crisis, people are saying, you need to learn the lesson of tulip mania. Strangely enough, in 2019, when you hear people complaining about Bitcoin and warning about it, what you are hearing are the voices of people in 1637 saying, well, look, you shouldn't be involved in this trade. This is you're the wrong person. You don't know enough. You know, social structure is going to be destroyed and so on. The lesson we take away from the myth of the tulip bubble and the reason why the myth is so popular is that it's really about fools and greed. That's part of the moral tone that I think is quite interesting, that only greedy people get involved in this kind of thing and that they need to control themselves. The story of the tulip bubble does remind us that maybe some of the things we do imbue with value are actually inherently pretty worthless. Paper money is just paper. Diamonds are a pretty common stone. And lots of things that are valuable, a house, for example, can quickly lose their worth. It's easy to overpay. It's natural to worry you bought at the height of the market. It's natural to feel, well, a little nervous. So even if the tulip bubble itself doesn't tell us much about bubbles, the way we've decided to remember it does tell us something about ourselves. When we're investing, there's an element of the unknown. And it's natural to feel like we're putting our hard-earned wealth into something fragile, like a flower. Thank you for listening to the History of Finance from Barron's. Many thanks to Anne Goldgar, professor at University College London and author of Tulip Mania, Money, Honor, and Knowledge in the Dutch Golden Age. I'm not a gardener at all. I cannot garden. And I do like tulips, but I grew to hate them while working on the book because they reminded me of work. I'm Sarah Green Carmichael, and the show is produced by Meta Lutzoft.
Hi, this is Alex Yule again. Thanks for listening to our pilot episode of the History of Finance. The Readback will return next Wednesday. See you then. Apollo is working to ensure a bright, bold future, financing solutions to some of the most complex challenges the world is facing. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.